All right, Shabbat Shalom and welcome to United Israel World Union. This is our Sabbath morning scripture study. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm glad to be here with you. The weather is warming up here in southern Louisiana, so hopefully you have a beautiful day where you are as well. You today um, get a special exclusive announcement. This is top secret. No one else knows this. You heard it here first. Many of you know that for the past more than a year, I've been working on a book that I've titled The Moses Scroll. The Moses Scroll reopens the most controversial cold case in biblical scholarship. And I'm not being exaggerative when I say that. Uh, This has been the most extraordinary study of my life. I have enjoyed it. I learned a lot. And I am going to tell you that as of now, uh, well, let let me back up for one second. The official announcement about the book's availability is going to be March the 8th, and I carefully selected that date. March the 8th happens to be the day in 1884 that Moses Shapira, one of the main characters in the book, in the story, in the saga, on that day, March the 8th, 1884, he died. Uh, It also happens to be the day, March the 8th, 1889, that the scroll about which this book is about, It's a fantastic mystery. Uh, It's the last time that the scroll, as far as we know, was seen in public. So you can imagine, as we thought about what would be a good release date, that was the day. So I didn't want to just upload it into the printer on that day because then it's not really able to be purchased by that day. So I had to do it early. So I got back the final drafts. We've gone over it. There's a select group of readers, some who are listening today, actually have read the manuscript in various forms. Uh, But anyway, so on February the 24th, I uploaded into the printer queue uh, for the availability the manuscript. And what I realized was that on the the Hebrew calendar. Now, the reason I'm letting you know is because you guys understand uh, the Hebrew calendar versus the Gregorian calendar. So when the manuscript was uploaded on February the 24th, I happened to notice that the day on the Hebrew calendar was the 12th of Adar. The 12th of Adar happens to coincide with March the 8th in 1884. You follow me? So it was also significant, but it was unplanned, at least unplanned by me. So let the mystery settle for a moment. So once we saw that that happened, and it was a very uh, coincidental time frame to upload the manuscript, uh, I looked at it again. Now, Uh, This manuscript is now available 
but I'm still not publicly saying anything, at least not today. But I'm going to post for you uh, a link so that later, uh, whether you do it next week or whenever, I mean, it's available whenever. I just posted it on the Facebook feed, and I'm going to post it here on the YouTube feed. And I wanted you, our listeners, to have an exclusive because I'm going to ask you to do something. If you order the book uh, and if you read it, which I hope you do, uh, I would ask that if you like it, and I could see no reason why you wouldn't love the book. Uh, It's like my child. So I would ask that if you do order it, if you do read it, that you would leave a positive review on um, Amazon. Now, you'll notice that the link that I posted is a a link to Smiles Amazon because United Israel uh, has an account on Amazon, and if people purchase things through Amazon, then United Israel benefits. So, But anyway, I wanted you to know I'm so pleased because it's been a long time. It's been more than a year, uh, uh, several months longer than a year. The research within the book, some of it covers... Years and years and years of research, how it all dovetailed together is part of the mystery of the story. Uh, But anyway, so I wanted you to know that, uh, and you are welcome at any time to purchase it. So, the Moses Scroll, with a foreword by Dr. James Daniel Tabor. Uh, It's nice to have a Ph.D. in Bible who uh, happens to be a good friend and your teacher who would write uh, a wonderful forward. And uh, anyway, a lot of people are involved. They are all thanked appropriately in the acknowledgments. And, uh, and I, I hope that, that you have time to check that out. So, but that's not what we're talking about today. That was just a bit of good news. See? See how I played that in? Last week, I talked about good news. The gospel according to Isaiah. And today, we are continuing in our prophet study. We are in class number 13 in the prophet series. And um, I'm going to continue with the message that I started last week. Last week, the gospel of Isaiah, I began by focusing on Uh, The term gospel or good news in Hebrew, basar, basar doesn't necessarily have to mean good news, but in the context of the class that I taught last week, it is good news. It's very good news. In last week's class, I focused primarily on the subject matter that involves the one who brings the good news. Not so much what the good news is, but in that one who I defined as the harbinger, the herald, uh, the gospel bringer, the one who bears good tidings. And I went through several Text And one of the things that I wanted to point out was just like in some of these other classes that deal with these mysterious prophetic figures, these 
uh, end times uh, uh, figures who, who come, who are described within the pages of the prophets, there is some ambiguity. There is some difficulty, as, you, as you've seen in some of these studies. Over the next several weeks, I'm going to begin to pull together some of the things that we've covered over the past weeks and months. You'll see how things fit together once you begin to look at the complexity. You also begin to look at some of the similarities between these various prophetic passages. So you'll recall that last week when I was talking about um, this particular person or group who are known as the one who brings good tidings or the ones who bring good tidings, I pointed out that it sometimes it was a singular figure, sometimes a plural figure, sometimes masculine, sometimes feminine. So it's, it's very interesting when you look at the, the details of these texts. I want you to begin with me this morning, if you will, in the Psalms. Let's go to Psalm 68. Psalm 68. I want you to look with me, Psalm 68 and verse 12, or verse 11 uh, in the English. Now, I'll read the English first. It says, uh, Adonai... Um, and that's not the name yod heh but here in the Hebrew it says Adonai. The Lord gives the word. Great is the company of those who bear the tidings. Great is the company of those who bear the tidings. But I want to make something very clear. This is an English translation. It does not, and I love the Koran text. The Koran generally gets us as close as anything in English that I've found uh, to what it says in the Hebrew. But there's a very interesting piece that the English here doesn't reflect. Some translations do. They get this one right. It's literally Adonai gives a speech or a word the female bearers, plural, of good news are a great host. The female bearers of good news. So this word is in the plural and it's in the feminine. Now, I find this to be interesting. You'll recall that last week when we talked about the one who bore good tidings or who would bear good tidings at times in Isaiah 40, for instance... Uh, the feminine singular is used. So I want people to understand. So here's, here's my point as I enter into today's class. Whether uh, we're talking about a singular figure or a group of men or women, the singular function, that is the task of this one that we're speaking about, um, is to herald good tidings, to bring good news. But what is that good news? What is the gospel message of Isaiah? What news will the messenger or messengers of the good tidings what is it that they'll say? Now, 
Last week, we covered four primary texts, and then I'm going to touch these once again and then move into the details that surround these clues uh, and and retrieve from these clues some some ideas that uh, put us on the message, uh, put us on the gospel message of Isaiah. So let's go through these quickly. Go to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 9. Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 9. You that bring good tidings to Zion. Get thee up into the high mountain. You that bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Now go with me to 41 and 27. 41 and 27. Of Isaiah, a harbinger to Zion, I will give. Behold, behold them, and to Jerusalem, a messenger of good tidings. Isaiah 52, Isaiah 52 and 7. And it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bring good tidings, that announces peace, that brings good tidings of good, that announces salvation, that says to Zion, your God reigns. Now go with me to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, and beginning in verse 1. Ruach Adonai Yehovah Lai, the Spirit of Adonai Jehovah is upon me because Jehovah has anointed me to announce good tidings to the meek. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound and so forth. Now, from these passages that we just read quickly and only Uh, briefly, just touching them, it's from these passages and associated text that we can begin to sketch out a framework, if you will, based upon data from these, clues, if you will, we can begin to sketch out the framework of a gospel, the framework of the message of the messenger of the good news. Better put, we can learn the gospel of Isaiah by studying this. Now, go back with me to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. And... I want to read, see, last week we covered these texts, but we didn't cover them for the purpose of uh, pulling out the message. So now we're going to look at them, bring in a different angle, a different approach, same text, looking specifically for what is the message? What is the gospel of Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 9. You that bring good tidings to Zion... Get thee up into the high mountain. 
You that bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, Adonai Jehovah will come with might, and his arms shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his hire before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall lead gently those that are with young. From this particular passage, we begin to uh, discern the message, the gospel message of Isaiah. Now, one thing I want you to notice is that three times in the English it says, Behold. Now, I just read the place from verses 9 through 11 within the white spaces. This is directed towards or to the, the one who is to bring good tidings, and it says three times, Behold. Behold your God, right? Behold Adonai Jehovah comes in strength. And then there is behold his wages, if you will, are with him and his work before him. And then the work is defined. It has to do with a people. Now you say, wait a minute, it says like a shepherd and flock. Well, the Bible uses this imagery. You are the shock, uh, the, the flock of my pasture. It's talking about a specific people. So what we begin to see in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 9 through 11, he nay, he nay, he nay, behold, 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 behold your God, right? Behold, your God is coming and his work dealing with the people so the message has to do with the true and living God, the fact that that God is coming, and he's coming to do a work with a special people. Now, What we're going to begin to see then is how this gospel message takes shape. It's about the true Elohim, the coming of that true Elohim, and the work of that true Elohim. Now, let's see if Isaiah uh, in other passages can shed light on more content about this gospel message. Go with me to Isaiah 52. This was one of our other texts. Isaiah 52, and uh, we're going to do 7 through 10. How beautiful Upon the mountains are the feet of him that brings good tidings, that announces peace, that brings good tidings of joy or good, that announces salvation, that says to Zion, thy God reigns. The voice of thy watchman is heard. They lift up the voice. Together they shall sing. They shall see eye to eye. Jehovah returning to Zion. Hmm. Break forth into joy, sing together, O waste places of Jerusalem, for Jehovah has comforted his people. Look, that's Isaiah 40, right? Nakamu, Nakamu Ami. 
He has redeemed Jerusalem. Jehovah has bare his holy, made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. We meet first with the messenger here in Isaiah 52 and verse 7. Isaiah 52 and verse 7. Just like Isaiah chapter 40, the messenger, the one who brings the tidings, in Isaiah 40, it says, uh, you're going to do this, al-har-gaboah, upon a high mountain. Here, it talks about this one, and the lovely feet upon the mountains. See, there's a connection there. Remember, in Nahum chapter 2 and verse 1 or 115, depending on whether you're looking at Hebrew or English, it also has this phrase about the feet upon the mountains of this one who brings good tidings. Now, I'm reminded, and let me just say, hold your hand here and go with me to Zechariah, just as a thought-provoking passage. Zechariah 14, and I just want to read verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split along the middle of it by a very great valley from east to west. Half of the mountain shall be removed. This is talking about a major earthquake when the feet of one stands upon Alhar Zetim, upon the Mount of Olives. Now, could this be the one that we're talking about who is bearing the good news? Now, of course, if you read Zechariah 14, uh, it begins in verse 1, Behold, the day of Jehovah comes. Uh, and, and so you have to wonder, who is this one? Well, if you get to verse 3, Then shall Jehovah go out, the Yatzah Yehovah, and he will battle against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand. So who is it that's coming? Whose feet will be standing Alhar Zetim or Alhar Gaboa upon the Mount of Olives or upon a high mountain? And the question becomes, is the mountain that is talked about from which the bearer of good tidings announces to Zion in Jerusalem, is it Harzatim, the Mount of Olives? It could be. Could be. It's east, you know, it's right there overlooking the city. Many of you have been there. You've, you've seen that beautiful lookout. This particular one, go back to Isaiah 52, 7 through 10. This particular one announces peace or or actually causes, it says causes to, it's in the causative form, causes to be heard, shalom. So the one who announces, that usually translations will say who announces peace, 
It causes it to be heard. Well, how do you cause something to be heard? You announce it. That's how the English comes in. Causes to be heard, shalom, and news of tov, news of good, good news. Causes to be heard, salvation, right? So this, this one, Alhar Gaboa, upon a high mountain, announces shalom and salvation, and says to Zion, your God reigns. And we're beginning to see a gospel message come together. The gospel message of Isaiah is beginning to take place. The one bearing news from Al-Har Gaboah, from upon a high mountain. Go up, go up to a high mountain. You who bear good news, you who announce peace, you who announce salvation, go up, lift up your voice, don't be afraid. What, what's the voice going to say? We don't have to guess. This message from Alhar Gaboa is particularly good news. The news is this. It's all about the true Elohim, the message that the true Elohim is coming and his work is before it. Now, this one that goes before is also of great interest to us. But I want to begin to focus on one and not the other. Let me make it clear. In, in, in some of the passages, we have a messenger who goes before. But we also keep seeing, and this is what I'm going to begin to talk about today, the coming of your God. Elohecha. Elohim, Elohecha. Your God is coming, and this messenger is going to go before God. This one who goes before has a very important job. Panu Derek, prepare the way. Now, see, this is what I talked about when I kicked the class off. A few weeks ago, I brought in some of these ideas that you, you might have thought, well, that's an interesting class, but where does it fit into understanding these prophecies? Well, we're going to begin to need some of those pieces and parts that we covered. We talked about one who is to prepare the way, prepare the way for who's coming, right? Well, that's what we're going to talk about, and we'll need those things that we talked about. There is one who announces or causes to be heard peace and salvation. Your God reigns. Now, let me talk about that for just a moment. When we say your God reigns, we're talking about the kingdom of God. 
The kingdom of God has one king, Jehovah. So the idea is that this one announces the kingdom of God. So think about now how our gospel message is coming together. Behold your God. Your God reigns. There's an announcement, a causing to be heard of shalom, of peace, and of salvation. And the main message, uh, the first part of the message, is to declare, behold your God. Hine, behold your God. We're talking about the true God. As Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 10 says, Jehovah is the true Elohim. He is the living Elohim. So the announcement that goes forth is about the true Elohim, contrasted with all of the other Elohim that people talk about in the world then, now, and in the future. There's a true Elohim, and then there are other Elohim which are really not Elohim, but they are Elohim in the minds and the beliefs and in the practices of many people. So we're going to take a little bit of time this morning and and kind of drill down a little bit on the true Elohim according to Isaiah's gospel, meaning Isaiah covers quite a bit about this one God who the announcement going forth about behold your God, Isaiah has an inside on this God. So go with me to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. And I want to read uh, verse 10 and 11. You are my witnesses. You are my witnesses, declares Jehovah, and my servant whom I've chosen that you may know me and understand that I am he. Before me there is no God formed, neither shall there be after me. So he's talking to a group here. Like a lot of people, we're going to get into the servant uh, in, in upcoming classes. But this, in this particular passage, the servant is not an individual, it's a group. You are my witnesses, you, plural, you are my witnesses and my servant whom I've chosen. So he's addressing a group who are witnessing the oneness of the God, the oneness, okay? Look at verse 12. I, even I, am Jehovah, and beside me there is no deliverer. I have declared and have saved and have announced, and there was no strange God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, says Jehovah. I am God. Yea, from the first I am he. There is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall reverse it? So again, we have this idea of witnesses. Witnesses being called uh, to, to witness what? to be witnesses to the fact that there is no other God. This is about the oneness of God. Now look with me at chapter 44, verse 6. 
Thus says Jehovah, the king of Israel, and his Goel, his redeemer, Vogolo, his redeemer, Jehovah of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. And besides me, there is no God. And who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare it and set it in order for me. From when I appointed the eternal people, let them relate for themselves the things that will come and are to be. Fear not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time and have declared it? You are my witnesses. There we are again. Is there a God beside me? Indeed, there is no rock. I know not any. You see, the announcement is about the one God, but there is a central group which is to attest to that, to witness to that oneness. Call it the oneness witnesses. It's the idea that they, this eternal people, it says when I appointed the eternal people. Well, we're going to talk about the eternal people in another class. But the idea is that the eternal people have a task to do relative to the unveiling of the gospel message. The true gospel message about the true Elohim, uh, about the reign of that one God and the work of that one God that involves the eternal people. It's all part of the gospel message. Look at chapter 45 of Isaiah. 45, beginning in verse 5. I am Jehovah, and there is none else. There's no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that from the rising of the sun and from the west, there is none beside me. I am Jehovah, there is none else. I form the light, create darkness. I make peace, create evil. I, Jehovah, do all these things. You see the message? Ain od. There is no other. We're talking about the one true God, the revelation of the true God. Look at verse 14 of 45. Uh, and I'm just going to pick up the second part of that. Surely God is in you, and there is none else. There is no other God. Ain od. This idea, it, in fact, it says, Ain od, and there is no more. Ephes Elohim. There's no other. Look at verse 18 of 45. <clears throat> For thus says Jehovah, that created the heavens... Um, let's see this. I'm looking in the Hebrew. Who ha Elohim? He is the God uh, and made it who created the heavens. God himself that formed the earth and made it. He's established it. He didn't create it a wasteland. He formed it to be inhabited. I am Jehovah and there is none else. Now, the one God, there is no other. 
This message goes back to the Torah, to Deuteronomy. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, where you'll find this. And I'm just going to read a couple of verses. Now, in this particular passage in Deuteronomy 4, God is talking about the miracle of the Exodus and the salvation of his people. And he says in verse 35, to thee it was shown that you might know that Jehovah, he is God and there is none else beside him. See, the whole reason for the redemption was to show them that point. The core message of the gospel. So really, it's a gospel message that goes back to the Torah, the teaching. Look at verse 39. Know therefore this day and consider it in your heart that Jehovah, he is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath. There is no other. No other. Ain't owed. Now look at Deuteronomy 6. Now everyone knows the central confession of biblical faith called the Shema. The Shema means to hear. Like when we talk about the gospel message, the, the messenger, the announcer, causes it to be heard. This is part of the message. It's what needs to be heard. It needs to be heard in our world today, just like in the ancient times. In verse 4 of Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, uh, Jehovah our God, Jehovah is one. And you shall love Jehovah your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your everything. And these words shall be upon your heart. So the core message, the central gospel message of the Tanakh, of the Hebrew Bible, is about the one true Elohim, contrasted with all the others who are not gods at all. Jehovah in Isaiah says, is there another God? I know not any. But yet people have worshipped throughout time countless deities who aren't real. Now look with me at 1 Kings. Just want you to have this in your text. 1 Kings 8. 1 Kings 8. In verse 60, um, that all people, let's see, that all the people of the earth may know that Jehovah is God and there is no other. See, the point, it's not just for the people of Israel. The goal is that the message is universal. Look at Micah, Micah chapter 4, Micah chapter 4, and I just want to pick up, now this, this particular passage is also um, in Isaiah 2, 
But Micah 4 has something added. You'll, you'll remember in Micah 4, beginning in verse 1, it's the same as Isaiah 2, for the most part, a couple of minor differences. Uh, but it talks about in the last days, the mountain of the house of Jehovah shall be established top of the mountains and people, you know, it talks about people will stream to it, nations will come and, and the, the taking of implements of war will be turned into farming instruments and, and uh, so forth and so on. But look at verse uh, 5. For let all the people walk everyone in the name of his God. We will walk in the name of Jehovah our God forever and ever. Now this is an interesting passage. You know, it, it says that other people are walking in the name of other God, but we'll walk in the name of our God. Well, that's interesting but it's not always going to be the case because ultimately, like 1 Kings 8 verse 60 just said, that all the people on the earth will know the name of God. Look, uh, look with me at uh, Zechariah, Zechariah 14 and 9. And Jehovah shall be king over all the earth on that day. Jehovah shall be one and his name one. See, ultimately, one God known globally. And in fact, in in Zechariah 14, other places as well, Isaiah 2, Micah 4, uh, Zechariah 14, nations will send delegates to Jerusalem to worship the one God. The one God, right? So this is the message about the one God. Now, a further part of the message is that that one God is coming. Now, how literally are we to understand this or take this? Well, it's pretty interesting. Just reading the text, go with me back to Isaiah, Isaiah 35 now, Isaiah 35 brings in some interesting language, and I think that, for me at least, some of the themes are found in what a lot of people call Deutero-Isaiah. So it's not like Isaiah 35, you know, like people draw a line in the text and say, well, after this, another author. Well, we see some of those same languages, some of the same language, themes, words, phrases uh, in earlier texts. But uh, look at verse 1 of Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the arid land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the rose or the tulip. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon they shall see the glory of Jehovah and the excellency of our God. Very interesting passage. This passage deals with um, the wilderness, the desert, the dry land, the Aravah. Some of you know this song. Um, I won't tell the whole story, but a man showed up at Biblical Tamar Park. <clears throat> and taught me a song based on Isaiah 35. 
and it comes, the verses come from verse 1 and verse 6. Uh, it goes, Yesusum, Yesusum, Bar Vetsia, Vetagel, Vetagel, Tagel, Arava, Vetifrak, Vetifrak, Havatselet, Vetifrak, Havatselet. And it's singing of this miraculous rebirth of the desert. Streams flowing into what was a a dry and desolate place. But what is it that causes that rejuvenation, that rebirth in the desert? It's because the redemption begins here. It's because the redemption begins here and there's a highway here. If you keep reading in Isaiah 35, let me just look at verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands, confirm the feeble knees, say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even with a divine recompense. Does this sound a little bit like Isaiah 40 and beyond? You know, we're talking about the coming of God and He'll come and save you. There's a message of salvation. Eyes of the blind shall be opened. Sounds like Isaiah 61. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Isaiah 28. Then shall the lame leap as a heart. The tongue of the dumb sing. I don't need any comments about me singing a minute ago. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert, ki nivkeu bamidbar maim un halim ba'arava. In the, the, the desert is the arava. The parched ground shall become a pool. Thirsty land, springs of water, the habitation and so forth. Look at verse 8. And a highway shall be there and a way and it shall be called the way of holiness. Unclean shall not pass over it. A highway Go back, Isaiah 40, or go forward to Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice cries, prepare in the wilderness the way of Jehovah, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. A highway, misalu. Uh, Let me look at the Hebrew there, Uh, verse 3, yeah, Mesila, Mesila, a highway. Look down at verse 10. Um, See, behold, Jehovah will come with might and his arm with him. See, we talk about Jehovah coming. There's a highway for our God. Look down at chapter 57. Isaiah 57. And verse 14, and one shall say, Solu, Solu, Panu Derek, lift up, build up, bank up, bank up, prepare the way. Panu Derek, take up the stumbling block out of the way of the people. Now look at Isaiah 62 10. 62 10. Go through, go through, Ivru, Ivru, 
Go through the gates. Prepare the way of the people. Bank up, bank up the highway. Clear the stones. Lift up a standard for the people. In Hebrew, solu, solu. Lift up, lift up. Bank up, build up the highway. So we have Jehovah's return. There's a highway, and it has to do with preparing the way, yes, but also preparing the people. Lift up the stumbling blocks. Go to Isaiah 66 and verse 15. For behold, Jehovah will come with fire, with his chariots like a storm, to render his anger with fury, his rebuke with flames of fire. Jehovah will come. You see that? Where is he coming from? Go to Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26 and verse 21. For behold, Jehovah comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. Out of his place... Look at Micah 1 3. Micah 1 3. For behold, Jehovah comes out of his place, will come down, tread upon high places of the earth, and the mountains will melt under him. Valleys shall be split. See? You see the language? We're seeing the consistency. But where is his place? Look with me at Hosea, Hosea 5, Hosea 5 and verse 15. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they'll seek me. Here's Jehovah saying he's going to return to his place. Question is, where is his place? This passage in Hosea 5 deals with um, the hiding of the face. You know, he's reached a, it's reached such a state of degradation that um, there's no remedy, as the writer of Kings says. So you, he says, I'm going to go away. And until they seek my face, he's going to go where? To his place. All right, let's go through a few verses. Deuteronomy 33 and 2. And he said, Jehovah came from Sinai and rose up from Seir to them. He shone forth from Mount Paran came from holy mountains. His right hand, from his right hand, went a fiery law for them. So this puts the place in the deserts, right? Sinai, Mount Paran. Look with me at Judges. Judges 5 and verse 4. Um, Jehovah, when you did go out of Seir, 
when you did march out of the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. The clouds also dropped water. The mountains melted before Jehovah. That Sinai before Adonai Jehovah of Israel. You see, it's, it seems very similar in language and description. Sinai, the deserts, Edom, Seir. Now, people debate some of these locations, but we're talking in the southern parts. Now, a lot of people want to put it too far east, whole other class. Look with me at Habakkuk, Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 3. God comes from Timan and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens and the earth with full of his praise. And there is a brightness as the light rays issue from his hand. And there the hiding of his power is lodged. Before him goes pestilence, burning coals at his feet. These are all descriptions of the coming of God. Right? Go back where we started today to Psalm 68. Psalm 68 and verse 7. Actually, it's verse 8 in the Hebrew. God, our own God, shall bless us. Oh, that's 67, 68. Uh, O God, when you did... Go out before your people when you did march through the wilderness, Selah. The earth shook, the heavens dropped at the presence of God. Even Sinai itself at the presence of God, the God of Israel. March through the wilderness. Some translations say desert. But the Hebrew is specific. Remember Isaiah 35, yes, assume, yes, assume, me bar vetziah, vetagel, tagel, arava, vetifrat, kavetzel. All these, there are five different terms in Isaiah uh, 35 describing these dry desert regions. Here's another one. This word in Hebrew is yeshimon. It pictures God in a place that's referred to in the Hebrews, Yeshimon. Now look at Psalm 78. I want to take a couple of these. Psalm 78 and 40. How often did they rebel against him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Grieve him in Yeshimon. So what is this Yeshimon? Look at 106, Psalm 106, verse 14. Psalm 106, verse 14. This is for a later book I'm going to write about the geography. Okay. Uh, Verse 14. Let me make sure. Yeah. They soon forgot his works. They didn't wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tried God in the desert. They tried God 
in Yeshimon. Look at 107, verse 4. Psalm 107, verse 4. They wandered in the wilderness in a desert way. They found no city to dwell in. Again, Yeshimon. So this is a particular area, particular place. It's talking about, again, we're talking about the coming of God from his place. And his place puts us in these wilderness regions. Let me give you a couple of examples of Yeshimon. Go to 1 Samuel, um, 1 Samuel 23. 1 Samuel 23, verse 19. Then came up the Zephim to Shaul to Givah. Is not David hiding himself with us in strongholds in the woods, in the hill of Hakilah, which is on the right hand of the Yeshimon? Now, some English translations have Jeshimon here. But it's talking about David is hiding in a desert place called Yeshimon. He was probably inspired to write some psalms while he was there in that desert place. Verse 24, same chapter, 1 Samuel 23. And they arose and went to Ziph before Shaul, but David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the Aravah on the right hand of the Yeshimon. Specific place. Now, just for your notes, 1 Samuel 26.1 and 1 Samuel 26.3 also put us in that place. But the Yeshimon is part of this desert region, and it's in the Aravah. Now, if you've ever been to the Aravah, and you've ever been on a cool night, as the wind blows through the palms, it's quite moving. In the Aravah, all these prophetic pictures that go into the gospel describe this region as being significant in the redemption. The desert regions. The Aravah, in fact, go back with me to Psalm 68, Psalm 68, and I want to show you something. We're talking about God's place, Psalm 68, and I'm going to quote it for you King James style first. First Bible verse I remember I memorized when I came back to faith years and years ago. King James, Psalm 68, 4. Sing unto God, sing praises to his name, extol him by extol him who rides upon the heavens by his name Jah and rejoice before him. Who rides upon the heavens. Psalm 68, 4, what it really says. Uh, Let me find it in the Hebrew. Sing to Elohim a song. Uh, Sing, lift up uh, to him 
who rides on in the hour of votes. So here it is. Uh, Let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Let them joyfully exult. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides upon. Now this translation says clouds. Yah is his name and rejoice before him. But really, it's talking about a God who rides on the Aravot, who rides in these planes, if you will. The Aravah. God is moving in this area. When the redemption begins, he's coming out of his place. And the second coming will be in similar ways to the first coming of Jehovah. Jehovah is coming. This is the message that should be preached every weekend around the world, is that the true and living God is coming. He's coming out of his place. And the redemption begins from that place, from the regions of the Aravot, from the desert, from the dry places. And as he comes, miracles will take place. Streams will flow and life will be restored. People get ready. There's a train coming. You know the song? You are his witnesses. The gospel message of Isaiah is about the true and living God. The coming of that God from his place. The redemption beginning in the wilderness. It's why these apocalyptic groups, think of the Qumran group. You know, why are they in the desert? Well, a lot of people have a lot of ideas. They're there to be witnesses. Why are they there? Read Isaiah 40. Isaiah 35, the idea is that that the redemption begins here. You are on the 50-yard line when you're in that region. It begins there, but the message, the gospel message of Isaiah has to do with the one God who is coming, and as Amos the prophet once said, I now say to the world, be prepared to meet your God. Now, next week, we'll continue in our study of the prophetic messages. I want to tell you, I hope that you have a beautiful week. I hope that many of you will uh, find the Moses scroll and that you'll read it, and that you'll write a very nice review if you choose. If you don't have nice things to say, don't say them publicly. No, I'm just picking. 
Hopefully you'll love it. Shabbat Shalom. Shavua Tov. Have a beautiful week. God bless you.